this last week, and so I'm very thankful that we had uh, Uncle Al, uh, Al Torres from RBM Ministry, who, who did pulpit fill while he was gone. Um, so I, I hope that you uh, are continuing to lift him and his family up in prayers. Um, along with him, there's some other uh, church family members, um, Miss Debbie, who has had knee surgery, who's probably watching at home right now, and then uh, the Patchets, if, if you know who either of those folks are, the Patchets just had the glorious gift of welcoming a new baby boy, and so that is a wonderful thing to praise, uh, but also right now, um, Luther is is in the NICU, and he will be there for just a little while uh, until he is strong enough to come home. And so please continue to pray for the health of the mom, health of the baby, um, the strength for Debbie as she continues to heal over those things. And um, so I'm, I'm glad to be back. And uh, one, of the, one of the things that we do um, in our house, as you probably do in your house when you had little kids, is this game called Simon Says. You guys familiar with Simon Says? Or sometimes we'll do that for the, the light bearers kids. And, and maybe even the junior church kids will be doing that downstairs today. I don't know. Uh, but there's different ways you can call this game. We are most familiar with something like Simon Says. Uh, there's Monkey See, Monkey Do, right? There's uh, the Shadow Game. There's Copycat. And uh, all of these, the whole goal of it is for you to do the same thing that the other person's asking you to do, right? I mean, that's the, that's the whole point of the game. And when you don't do the same thing that the other person is asking for you to do, then you're out, right? We all know this. You know, Simon says, pat your belly. See, pat your belly. Take your hand off your belly. Well, Simon didn't say, sit down and you're out, right? Well, what Paul's going to talk about in today's text is imitation faith. Now, a lot of times when we hear things like this, my knee-jerk reaction from this title would be, if I was in your shoes, would be, imitation faith must be a bad thing. Well, I don't think it is. Imitation faith is exactly what Paul is going to ask us to have. And so as we look through this section in Ephesians 5, 6 through 21, I want to talk to you about imitation faith. There are some imitations that are maybe not so good. You know, primarily turkey bacon. Um, I prefer real bacon. My wife likes this imitation thing called veet, which is vegetarian meat, which isn't a thing. Um, And especially this particular product because it went out of business, and I'm like, "Hmm, I wonder why. Um, Or perhaps you've heard of, you know, the Impossible Burger. Yeah, it's impossible to make that sound good, okay? Uh, But these imitations are not what we're talking about. 1 Corinthians 11.1, Paul says, I want you to hear this. Because this is convicting to me and it ought to be convicting to you. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So I want to pose the question to you this morning. Do you have that kind of faith? Do you have imitation faith? Can you in honesty, like Paul, say, Imitate me because I imitate Christ. And I want to talk to you today about this and why the difference between counterfeit and imitation. So let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for our time together. We ask you would bless the reading of your word. God, we ask for your Holy Spirit to give us discernment and wisdom. I ask that as we go through this together, that your word would be what's preached and not man's opinion, that you would be glorified, that the saints would be strengthened, that those who don't yet believe would be encouraged to believe, and that today, even, even now, we might see, the, see the, the, the miraculous rebirth of those who are coming into your kingdom. 
We ask this by your name and for your glory. Amen. So the first section, now I, I want to talk to you about 6 through 21, but I want to start in verse 1 for a couple of reasons. One, it's been several weeks since we've been in Ephesians. I want to catch you up. And two, this is really where this starts. And you can kind of slice these sausages in any kind of way and, and put them together as long as you're keeping it in the context. So Ephesians 5, 1 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And here it is. This is where he starts, right? Imitation faith. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Then he goes on in 6 and 7. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. So we start off at the beginning here. He gives us a powerful decree. I'm going to have four things that he's going to show us with this about imitation faith. This is the first. He gives us a powerful, I'm sorry, directive to walk in love. And he tells us that we must test everything by the word of God. As, as you have a copy of God's word open, I hope that you do. In verse 6 and 7, he tells us there, firstly, right, in verse 1, therefore, because of all the things that he said so far, and remember, we're talking about this is, a, this is a scripture in the context of the rest of the book. So Ephesians, I would encourage you, if you haven't read through it, or if you've been missing a couple Sundays, or if you're brand new visiting today, please go back after this message and read. It will be a, such a blessing to you to read 1 through four, and that's just four chapters, right? So you can do that. So Ephesians one through four, and then he gets to chapter five there, and he says, therefore, because of all that, because of all those things, be imitators of God as beloved children. And then he shares with us some practical ways to do that. And again, you can check that out online. And then he goes and he says, therefore, because of those things, let no one deceive you with empty words. Brother or sister, I'm here to tell you, if you don't know this already, our culture is one of empty words. Our culture is one that continues to want to tickle our ears, and there are so many people out there that are falling prey to it. And he warns us, you should not be one of them. Do not compromise. Don't let yourself be carried away or deceived. Matthew 24, 4 says, and Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. And that's exactly what we're talking about here. The deception of man. Because there is a way that seems right to a man. But in his heart, he is desperately wicked. Colossians 2.8 says, see, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Some of the ways that people want to lead us astray, and I'm going to give a lot of grace here, and I'm going to make a statement that you might not believe. I think a lot of the people that seek to lead people astray actually they believe that they mean well. And I don't think there's a lot of people out there. I think most people out there who are leading people astray, they're not doing so maliciously. They, they truly believe that what they're giving you is good. But Scripture is true, and let every man be found to be a liar, because some of the things that they'll say is that there's more than one way to heaven. Some of the things that they say is that, you, you know, uh, the standards of God are, are, are really a little too high and his grace and his mercy, uh, you, you don't have to meet his standards, even though all over in scripture he says, I am the Lord, I will judge, be holy because I'm holy, you're holy people, righteous standards, right? Jesus died for sins, why would he do that? Because there has to be just done, and as we read in our catechism question for today, you know, is he going to let these things go unpunished? And the answer is, of course, no. But those are the kind of deceptive messages we hear today. We hear divisive messages, whether it's the right or the left. We hear uh, messages in our media. We see it in movies. And so here he first starts with this powerful directive. 
This is a command. Therefore, because of all these things, be in of God. And, and so therefore, the command that we have as Christians is, do not be deceived. Let no one deceive you with these empty words. And he also tells us, because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon these sons of disobedience. Because of all these empty words, because of these empty promises, there are people who are going to go to hell. And he wants to protect us from being among them. And so he even says, therefore, do not become partners with them. And so as he gives us this powerful directive, I want to ask you, what does that part of this scripture, verse 7, I think this is what it says, therefore, do not become partners with them. What does that mean for you? And that's something we have to come into contact with on our, on our own. We are to be in the world and not of the world. So maybe as you talk with your small group or as, or as you meet with your Sunday school class or even as you go out to coffee or dinner after this with your spouse or your friends or somebody who brought you, you can ask this, what does it mean to partner with them? What does that look like? Where do we draw the lines for ourselves? And how are we using scripture to draw those lines instead of the deceptive words from the people who would like us to partner with them? So what does partnership mean? What does that look like? And how do we draw those lines? Well, some of those answers to those questions, he's going to continue to give as we continue to work out this text. But the first thing he gives is this powerful directive. Now, as we go back to the text, verse 8 says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Now, in these parentheses, he, kind of, he, he, he leaves his train of thought and then comes back to it. This is what you might refer to as a, a small rabbit trail, although it makes sense in, in the context. For the fruit of the light is found in all things good and right and true. So he says, walk as children of the light and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And so the next thing he gives us here is a permanent division. And I think this sometimes is where we struggle. But it's a permanent division. There cannot be fellowship with light and dark. The two cannot coincide. I don't know about you, but when I was little, I used to be afraid of the dark. Sometimes I still am. And I like to have lights, I flip them on in the house or whatever. I distinctly remember one time, you know, as you might have, running from my doorway, running and jumping into my bed, just so I was out of reach of whatever was underneath the, you know, underneath there, right? But this permanent division, uh, he tells us we must walk in the light. And and so I want to share with you some things. Where light resides, it brings change of character, it brings a change of conduct, and it brings a change of criteria. So look with me at this, especially in verse 8. It brings a change of character. It says, uh, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. So this is a change of who they are and what they're doing and what they think. Uh, You are no longer the same, Scripture says. So again, Paul has told us all of this before in these previous chapters. He's now saying, be who you are. Live how you're supposed to live. If you claim to be a Christian, then live as Christ. That's the point of saying I'm a Christian. We're a Christ follower. 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. It also brings a change of conduct if you see in verse 9, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. 
We should not like the same things once we are part of the light. Paul talks about it a different way. He says, you know, when I was a a child, I thought as a child, I spoke as a child, I acted as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Well, the same should be said of you, O Christian. I'm here to level with you. Before I was a Christian, I really liked to smoke marijuana. And the thought of it now sickens me, like gives me physical sickness to my stomach, and that is only by God's grace. And so I don't know what it is for you. That's just one of the many things that he is continuously cleaning me up on. Maybe yours is anger. Maybe yours is alcohol use. Maybe yours is pride. Uh, Maybe yours is religion. Maybe you were saved out of being too haughty and thinking of yourself too good to mingle with those other kinds of Christians. But where light resides, it brings a change of character. It brings a change of conduct. You no longer like those same things. Romans 6, 21, but what fruit were you getting at that time when those things of which you now are ashamed? It also brings a change of criteria. What I mean by that is that you don't think the same anymore. Look at verse 10 as it says there, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That is our daily, hourly, moment-by-moment goal if we're in Christ. It ought to be. Now, I don't know about you. Sometimes I forget that's my goal, right? Sometimes I get caught up in a moment and I forget that that's my goal. But by the grace of God, always, 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 the Holy Spirit then comes to me and brings conviction upon that. And I try to, as we all should, submit to that Holy Spirit and then repent from that. I got the opportunity to go with my kids to a uh, thing where you ride a bus and they take you somewhere. What's that called? Field trip. trip, That's what it's called. I got to go with my kids to a field trip. And you're like, well, that's weird because your kids are homeschooled. You're right. But they also like co-op with uh, Hamilton. And so Hamilton do this uh, co-op thing. We got to go to something called the Butterfly Garden. Has anybody ever been to the Butterfly Garden? Yeah, it's pretty cool, right? And how they do that, what those caterpillars do, they took us through a class, uh, and, and I'm going to give you the shortened version. Our class was like a half an hour long. Uh, but this is what they told us. They start in an egg, then they grow to a caterpillar. The caterpillar eats, like, amazingly a lot. Then the caterpillar goes into a cocoon, or a chrysalis. I wasn't paying attention. And then, after that, they hatch out of, of that. They, they, they're reborn, basically, as a butterfly. And do you know what butterflies don't do? No, they eat, they, they, they lick like nectar and stuff, but they don't eat leaves. Here's the point that I'm trying to get at. After a caterpillar becomes a butterfly and it doesn't go back to its caterpillar ways. And before the caterpillar becomes a butterfly, it has no frame of reference at all for what living life as a, as a butterfly must be like. And so here what Paul is telling us is that this permanent division where light resides, it brings a change of character, a change of conduct, a change of criteria, but also uh, light where it resides, it will also reveal. Look with me now at verses 11 and 12. So 11 says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. See, light reveals. If we are in the light, we cannot compromise that which we know to be true. And instead we ought to expose them. Now, that doesn't mean that you run around the church, you know, slapping people and telling them that they're such terrible sinners, or like you do with your dog, rubbing their nose in it or anything like that. But what it does mean that when you interact with other people in your normal life, they should be able to, by how you live differently, they should be able to tell that something is different about you and give you the opportunity to say, it is Christ in me. See, light is to reveal. For everyone who does the wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, says John lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes into the light, so it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. 
So he tells us here to have no part in these unfruitful works and instead expose them. It also says that we cannot compromise. Think of John the Baptist. John the Baptist did not compromise and it cost him his life. But it was right that he didn't compromise. And all of us now, when we think of John the Baptist, you don't think of like a wishy-washy, watered-down Christian, do you? No. Lastly, what light does in this permanent division is it restores. Look at verses 13 through 14. It restores twofold. It restores by the power of the Spirit and through the work of the Son. Look at verse 13. When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. John 16, 8 says, When he comes, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. You see, I was scared of the dark as a child. And I would start in my doorway and I would run and I would leap into my bed. But when morning was there, the fear was gone. You see, when light is there, it restores that which should be restored. My right attitude was restored during the daytime because was there anything there to fear in the first place? No, but I didn't know that. And so the spirit is what restores and the sun is what restored. He says in verse 14, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, and this is to us, this is to us this morning, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. And this is this word for the dawning of a new day. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I don't know if you know anything about him. You can Google him and find out all you want to know. I would encourage you, if you're a reader, to get a biography about him. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer, this is a quote from him, only he who believes is obedient and only he who is obedient believes. And so what he tells us is we must recognize and pursue this flesh-spirit division. Because as children of the light, we cannot participate in the things of darkness. Or, beloved we are not children of the light. This is a permanent division. And then he moves on in verses 14 through 17. So read with me. He says, For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then on how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand that the will understand what the will of the Lord is. And so now we come to a personal determination. You see, every single one of us has to make a choice. And perhaps your choice is being made right now. Jesus went to the cross. Jesus died for your sins. Jesus said, come to me, whoever is heavy laden, and and I will take your burden. You can take my yoke. You can learn from me. My burden is light. But also throughout scriptures, we see him turning people away who wouldn't willingly submit so this is where the weirdness of Christian theology and doctrine and all that, like God is absolutely sovereign and he could make you bow the knee to him if he desired to do so. And one day when he comes back, everybody will. But today we have the choice where we can bow the knee because we want to. And when he comes back, there will be some of those who will bow the knee out of love and adoration and hope and peace and joy and affection for our king. And there will be some who will bow the knee out of fear and loathing and hatred. And he asks us, this is a personal determination. Which do you choose? And so we're called to walk in wisdom. And in this text, 
Verses 15 and 16, we kind of already touched on 14, but it goes together here. In verse 15 and 16, there's two ways we're commanded to make a personal determination that we must do daily, and there are two things are concerning our time and concerning what is truth. So if we look at concerning the time in verse 15 and 16, wisdom in the practice of our ways. Look carefully then in how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Any of you guys ever had uh, kids that sleepwalk? Any of you ever sleepwalk? That's weird, isn't it? Um, we had a friend when we were down in seminary uh, that uh, they went to, uh, to a hotel. Uh, they had, uh, if I'm, you're going to have to ask Elisa if this story is right, so you can double check me on this, but I'll just tell you what I think I remember, okay? Um, so they had three boys, and uh, they, were, uh, they were on a road trip, and they stayed at this hotel. Uh, the oldest, I think, was nine, and the youngest was like three or something like that. And uh, they were at this hotel, they were staying the night there, and uh, at like two or three in the morning, they got a knock at their door, and they opened their hotel door, and the police were standing there at the door. And in the hands of the police was their three-year-old son. And uh, here's what happened. In the middle of the night, that three-year-old had woken up, had went to the sliding door, because they were on the first floor of this motel or hotel or whatever, wherever. He had opened the sliding door, he had walked across a four-lane highway to a 7-Eleven because he wanted a Slurpee. <laughs> and so they found him over there, and this kid miraculously had enough forethought to be able to tell, you know, point or whatever, or however that works, to get the police to bring him back to the hotel room. That child did not have wisdom in the way he walked. And so we ought not to be like that poor little three-year-old who was completely oblivious to any dangers that might be there. Instead, what we ought to do is look carefully with how we walk. Uh, another illustration that might fit that well is, is over in European countries, they have these, these brick walls that are, are there all the time, all over. It's because it's an older country, right? And on the top of those brick walls, they would smash up glass, and they would put those on top of that so that people wouldn't jump over. This was the pre-barbed wire kind of thing, right? And you'll, you'll see stray cats walking on these. Maybe you've ever seen a squirrel or a cat walk along a fence line. And it's amazing that they walk in such a way that they don't tear up their little paws. And this is the illustration that is given to us here. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. How are you living life right now? Can people tell you're a Christian by the way that you walk? Are you using your days well? Spending our time isn't just in our ways, but it's also for our days. Jonathan Edwards <coughs> A wonderful Puritan author. Again, this is another one that you might want to read. If, if you're a reader, I suggest this to you. He wrote 70 resolutions as a young man. I'm going to give you two of his 70. Resolved, never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it in the most profitable way I possibly can. Resolved, never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Question, what is your resolution? Do you share these? Because if you don't, you don't share Paul's. Look carefully at how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Verse 16, making the best use of your time. And why? Because these days are evil. And also, we need to be careful concerning the truth. Look with me at verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What Paul's telling us this in the text is life is short, the days are evil, 
However, praise God, he has given you a mind. I remember all the time when I was younger, my dad used to ask me, what do you got that thing up there for? Just growing hair? And that's the point, right? He's given us the amazing ability to have logic, to have uh, conversations, to, to work our faith out with fear and trembling. He's giving us his scriptures. He says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The other part of that is because of the Holy Spirit, because of his illumination, the light that the Holy Spirit gives to our minds through the reading of his word, we can actually know what the will of God is. Proverbs 15.21, that's the one. Folly is a joy to him who lacks sense, but a man of understanding walks straight ahead. And so my recommendation to you for this would be conduct a spiritual inventory regularly. What does that mean? What's well, exactly what it sounds like? I don't, I don't cook and I don't do the shopping. I, I know, I know. But I thank her. But I can tell you this. I often add things to the grocery list because I go to the cupboard and I open the cupboard and I say, chips, 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 chips. Hey, Lisey, we need some chips. Spiritual inventory. What you need to do is go to scripture, look at the fruit of the spirits in Galatians. It's in other places. You can Google it if you want, if you're not that familiar with your Bible. But also I would say you need to be more familiar with your Bible. Maybe that's a place where you start. But then uh, you do a spiritual inventory. How am I doing at managing my anger? How am I doing at loving my wife? How am I doing at serving my children? How am I doing at working at my job? How am I doing at witnessing? How am I doing at praying? How am I doing at Bible study? I'm sure I have those in the wrong order if you're already following me, right? Maybe that's part of your spiritual inventory right there. And so you conduct a spiritual inventory regularly and part of that then requires that you pray to God and you ask for him to help you have the personal determination and the conviction to change those things when you actually see them. So then into the next section is verses 18 through 21 to finish us up for this morning. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so this last one, you get to pick, sort of. It's a pleasant disposition or a pleasant destiny. You get to decide, I suppose, whichever one you want. Either one work. I had so many P's and D's, I didn't know what to do, so I just stuck two of them in there for you. But this is the last part of what we need to see, and it's super important that we need to see this because how did we begin, right? He gave us a powerful directive. The powerful directive showed us a permanent division. Remember? We just did this. That permanent division causes us, we have to make a choice, we have to make a personal determination. So I'm going to beg you to choose wisely because here he ends with such a pleasant disposition and destiny for us. He tells us we are to walk in the Spirit. He says, seek out ways to be Spirit-filled. This is what he says in verses 19 through 21 when we are filled with the Spirit, we engage in things like fellowship. And it's a different kind of fellowship. I don't know about you, I, I have friends from high school, and I love them, 
We, I don't talk to them as much as maybe either I ought to as a Christian to, to share with them, and to, but also just life, right? Like I grew up, they grew up, we got married, had kids, we moved, we do totally different things with our lives, and so there's that. Now this is one of those moments that you're going to be tempted to say, aw, don't. But here's the thing, I don't have a lot of friends. And, and as somebody who's in ministry, that's especially true. But you know what I have? I've got a huge family. I mean, it's a huge family. And I get to have fellowship with my family. I get to see them every single week. And so as we are following these directives, these decisions, we also have a disposition and a destiny, one of fellowship. And, And by the way, this family, they might sometimes pass away but they'll never disappear. They'll never perish. And one day I'll get to spend all of eternity with them. So please don't be turned off by becoming a Christian knowing that you're stuck with me forever. (laughs) But also we have worship together. We experience gratitude together. We get to experience submission together. So this pleasant destiny, this pleasant disposition is one of joy, one of fellowship, one of gratitude, one of serving. And I don't know about you, but when I'm talking about other people having that, it is so attractive. And I hope it's attractive to you. Galatians 5, through 23 says, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Which of those things does not sound good to you? All of these are things that we intrinsically at our deepest needs, we desire these things. There is a world filled of people out there who desperately want the fruit of the Spirit but are unwilling to leave the darkness to come into the light so they might be changed like that caterpillar to butterfly because they can't even fathom what it means to be a follower of Christ Jesus. He also tells us with this pleasant disposition, this destiny, not only to be filled with the Spirit, how to do that is to follow those things, but also he tells us how to be thrilled with the Spirit. I just want to ask, are you reading the same letter to the Ephesians that I am and that the Ephesians would have been read? They would have read the whole letter. Today, this Sunday, what we would have done is we would have all stood here it would have been cold, probably, because I turned the heat up for y'all. You would have stood there. I would have stood here. I would have taken this letter, and I would have just read you the whole letter from top to bottom. And here are some things that they would have heard. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purposes of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, so that we may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. But God, being rich in his mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By the grace, we have been saved so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask and think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Friends, if that does not thrill you in the spirit, then I ain't got nothing for you. And so, John Christendom, Richard Hooker, this is what they said. The cross destroyed the enmity of God toward man, brought about the reconciliation, associated men with angels, pulled down the citadel of death, unstrung the force of the devil, extinguished the power of sin, delivered the world from error, brought back the truth, expelled the demons, destroyed their temples, overturned altars, suppressed the sacrificial offering, implanted virtue, founded the churches. And so Richard Hooker says, concerning the blessings of God, whether they tend unto this life or the life to come, there is a great cause why we should delight more in giving thanks than in making requests for them. Those who pray do but yet sow. Those who give thanks declare they have reaped. And so as he has given us in Ephesians, he's given us this power and full directive. He says, be who you are. Live different. Live as a child of light and walk in love. He's told us it's a permanent division that when you accept Christ, there is no going back. And that is not only something we ought to wrestle with before we choose Christ, but also we ought to take great joy and pleasure in that, that once the light has been turned on, beloved, we never have to worry about those creatures in the darkness again. And so we ought to walk in the light. He tells us also then that we have to make a personal determination. And so I want to ask you, what's your determination this morning? Are you now willing to again affirm or for the first time affirm that you are going to walk in wisdom to follow the Lord wherever he may call because where he is calling us, beloved, is a pleasant destiny indeed. Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, we do thank you for this word. We thank you for the glory of your gospel. We thank you that you are a God who never gives up, who never surrenders, who will always do what is just and right, and his love and kindness continues forever and ever. God, we thank you that it is in your son, Christ Jesus, that we are saved. It is not works of our own, but it is a gift that no one may boast. However, we will boast in the cross of Christ. We will boast in you. And I pray for all of us who are gathered here today, whether today is the first day where we will come to know you or today is just another day in the step along the way that you may continue to encourage our hearts that what you have called us to, you have equipped us for, you have prepared us to do. So help us, Lord, we pray to do exactly that. It's in your name, amen. Let's sing a song of praise.